Hey everyone, I'm Tom Keneshenko, a founding patron at Revelers DAO, and you're listening to the Revelers DAO podcast. Revelers provides funding and community to people willing to take on tough global challenges. We believe that all problems are solvable with the right knowledge, the right people, and a little bit of cash. I'm honored and humbled to bring you conversations with the world's top impact founders and investors to learn the tools they're using, how they're thriving personally, building good communities, and what they think the future looks like. Vitalik Buterin built Ethereum on a $100,000 grant. We can solve these problems and we can prosper while doing it. If you're a young founder willing to take on a big challenge and need some funding, head over to revelers.wtf. If you'd like to join the Revelers community and help us pursue this mission, head over to that same link. My conversation today is with Georgie Bernardet. She's the founder of the Puerto Rican DAO alongside the former CMO and CSO of Consensus. She founded a large impact investor network with UBS called Align17, and she's been a World Economic Forum young global leader since 2012. She's one of the most buoyant and positive founders that I know, and she takes great care of herself and of her friends. I think you'll enjoy this conversation a lot. Georgie. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. Yeah. It's good to be here in Vancouver. Yes. I'm so grateful that you're here. Yeah. There's a ton of stuff that, that we could get into. Thank you for being a patron, for being a part of Revelers. You have been founding difficult stuff for a real long time. And I think the one of the first things that I was really struck with when I when I first met you, well, two things. One was just your your buoyancy and your positivity is just palpable. But the second is how thick your bio is. It's like you've done a lot of difficult stuff. So I'm, I'm grateful to have you here and to get into discussion about what's going on with impact markets. How are you doing as a founder and then as a person? And how can we find and support other awesome people like, like you? Thank you. Tell me a bit about your, your journey to here. How, how did you start to found, to try to take on pretty big challenges? Yeah. What, what was the, what was the starting point? Yeah. So I am an accidental investor, if you might say, and I didn't discover, um, the power of finance until I was in grad school. So I come from a family of lawyers, politicians, teachers, nuns, <laughs> and it wasn't until graduate school when I, I did an internship at OPEC, which is the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, which is the right, right, USDFI yeah. now. And, um, and we were basically giving loan guarantees to uh, banks who were trying to do business in Latin America. And this person walks in, we start talking to him and he, he writes down kind of a structure. He says, you know, this is how we want to do things. How about that? And my boss would give him feedback and then he'd be like, oh, okay, so how about this way. And so he kept changing reality in front of my eyes. Mm. And I asked my boss, I was like, who is that? And he said, an investment banker. <laughs> and I said, I want to know more about these magicians that are able to use creativity and finance to switch reality. So after grad school, even though when I started grad school, I thought I was going to work at the UN, like my goal about how to change the world was going to be working at the UN. Yeah. And, and I ended up instead, how old were you at that time? I've always wanted to change the world, but I ended up, um, I was in my early twenties. I went straight from undergrad to grad school, uh, to Georgetown. So instead of going to the UN, I ended up also in New York, but in Wall Street at JP Morgan, kind of wanting to learn the language of finance as the magical tool to change reality. And I imagine at the time you were, you know, given everything I know about you, you're, you're probably, you know, at the top of your, 
among the top of your class. And that's what a lot of people that want to change the world did at that time. Yes. I think that was just before I went out into the world, but yeah. And so, but back then it wasn't that clear. Right. So when I went to wall street, but yes, to your point, there were only, there were seven of us and only two people were chosen to go to wall street. So quite amazing wow. jump from somebody who didn't know what the investor banking was. And then, um, but then when I was there, my first question was, okay, where can I go that I can mix purpose with finance? And there were a lot of laughters back at me and they wanted to put me in the project finance team, which is pretty much the large scale hydroelectric things that, you know, 20 year plus projects, nothing was going to happen there. And, uh, like impact investing was not a word. So I ended up in Latin America, investment banking, doing like M&A and markets. And it was great. It was a great learning, but there was nothing meaningful about it. So you, you have this elite opportunity. You go to the, you know, the halls of power and you want to make impact, but there's not much for you to do. Well, there's not much because institutionally, those two worlds were very separate. And I think at least in the West, in the U.S., not the full West, but there was this, this mental disassociation between doing good and making money. And mm -hmm. so, as you know, is mm -hmm. if you want to do good, go do philanthropy or go work for an NGO or go work for the UN. Yep. If you want to work and make money and forget about everything else, then you go into banking or consulting or to business. Right. But the, the beautiful full circle is only like four years ago, I went back to 60 wall street, speaking about align 17, about impact investing in the same building where I started and the world has had shifted. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's beautiful, you know, it's kind of painful in a way. And you know, this, that we're very sentient about what needs to happen, what's coming, coming and what's happening. Like I can see the two worlds, all the worlds when, as they are still kind of in flow. So it was early back then, but it's so beautiful to see how the world caught up with this idea that it's we have to merge fast. impact it's moving in and a capital. beautifully fast way yes, fast it's, enough it's we don't beautiful. yet know yeah so take take us through like how did you okay you, you know investment banking you've built some incredible impact businesses you know the one of the largest impact investment networks in europe other things just take a take me through that yeah like, so wall street to now yeah wall street to now so not a direct path i think what ha what was very meaningful is to to not be defined by, by where I came from or what, by what the expectations were of who I was. And I'll, I'll tell you what, so, and that, that was kind of the trigger. I'll tell you why. So impact investing, not knowing what it was and saying, okay, I can do that. Right. And then just saying yes to life. The second part of this was I never had an entrepreneurial person in my family. Right. So this notion of starting something your own was not something I grew up with, but I was lucky to be married to an entrepreneur. Mm. And so, um, I happened to be in Turkey, living in Turkey. I did not speak the language. I was there in Turkey and, uh, and he looked at me and he said, you do know you can be an entrepreneur. And I was like, what is that? You know, and how really like somebody knows that I can do it. And so once I shifted this notion of who I was or who I could be, then I was able to kind of become an entrepreneur and mm. actually realizing that I probably have been entrepreneurial all my life. So in Turkey is where I started, I would say, reconnecting with my passion for climate, my passion for, you know, the environment. And uh, I set out to first learn 
and then to understand where the gaps were and then to become an entrepreneur. So on the learning side, I became a speaker with Al Gore's Climate Project. So, oh man. Yeah. Wasn't so it was the second class. It was amazing. Thing. Amazing. Amazing. That doesn't surprise me that you did that. <laughs> yeah. So first become kind of intellectually knowledgeable about the issues as, as they were presented by Vice President Gore. I always had a deep admiration for him. So it was it was a quite a an, an incredible experience to do that. Um, then I set out to learn about the carbon markets. I think that was way when the U.S. had developed the emission trading scheme and Almost all happens. the CDMs and CDRs and everything. Yeah, yeah, and the VRs and everything. And so, and then realizing where the gaps were. So I studied renewable energy in Germany and then went out to Turkey and to help develop renewable energy projects. Then I launched a company in Puerto Rico that was helping project developers who were coming to the island thanks to the fitting tariff um, of Puerto Rico. I launched Green Drinks Istanbul and Green Drinks Puerto Rico. That was amazing. So it was a community of, wow, I remember of that people. Too. Remember? Wow. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. So again, that combination of activism, community and entrepreneurship. So understanding what's happening, where are the gaps and how to bring resources together. I advised banking CEOs on their climate strategy when nobody was talking about it, about the risks and the opportunities as well. And that led me to becoming a young global leader with the World Economic Forum. So right. it was all my work right. and environment right. that brought me there. And then out of there, then just being among peers who all they wanted to do was collaborate and create positive outcomes. That's where the idea for Alliance 17 came out. It was in deep collaboration, understanding that there was a gap between the world of impact investing and the basically the worlds of capital. Yeah. And there was no intermediation to make sure that those two words could get together with the scale and the speed that wow. we need, that the world needs. That's really, that's really damn important work. Yeah. That is that you... you Everything you told me and everything I know about you, you are, you're a bridge builder. Yes. I, and the, the importance and urgency of that bridge is, is pretty profound. Yeah. So where's that now? Where's that? Where's the project at today? Yeah. So Align 17 continues and uh, a, we effectively are a platform of, of action where we bring opportunities in the fund space of impact and the world of private wealth effectively. So ultra high net worth individuals who wouldn't have a way to identify, you know, relevant investment projects. They have a way to do it through Align 17. Yeah. During the pandemic, I think we spoke about this. What was interesting for me is to, to pause. It was a kind of like a forced pause between the quarantine and, you know, I, I have a 14 year old son who had a hard time during the pandemic emotionally. So I dedicated my time to heal him. And in a way I healed myself because I allowed myself to, to pause and to reconnect to, with why I do what I do and what does that look like post pandemic. So here I am, you know, yeah, ready yeah. for the next stage. Yeah. You know, you and I both spent a lot of time working in the existing system, financial system, organization of human system to make change. We've both I think we see that system not shifting quite fast enough. Yeah. We're, we both have toes and fingers into a new system, which is you know based on open networks and yeah. Web3. But what really struck me in our previous conversations is just this idea of the health of the entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And you know, 
doing this work as a founder for a long time is really hard. Mm -hmm. I believe there's got to be like a billion young people that really are crying out to be able to do something. They've got such urgency and desire to have an impact, but they're not sure what to do. And speaking for myself, I, you know, founding companies for 14 years, I got into, you know, like we talked about situations with insomnia, mm-hmm. where it felt like I was just so beat down by the world of entrepreneurship that, um, although I wanted to make change, I was just, you know, I was running on flat tires. Yeah. So all that said, what is super exciting is the rebirth of environmental markets, this massive mm-hmm. movement that's underway, uh, regenerative finance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get into that, but yeah, just first on the, on you, You've always been positive. You've always been joyful. (laughs) How do you stay positive as a founder doing this stuff? So it's, it's my baseline. It's my baseline. And so I know, I know when I'm in flow and I know when I'm not. And when I'm not, I have developed and had practiced all the tools to make sure that I get back into connectivity with that intuition and kind of, yeah, like what, makes me me, I guess. So it's a combination of the usual. So I think every entrepreneur should know, just let's go through the the list, right? Meditation is your friend. Yoga is your friend. Exercise, you know, get out in nature. You you have to. And, and, And if you need the proof about that, there's enough scientific proof right now that it just, it's good for your brain. It's good for you. And it's good actually for your output as well. Um, I think we spoke about as well, you and I, you know, people talk about self-care, 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 but for you to think even about self-care, you need to love yourself. So how can you find ways to love yourself? Uh, for me, what worked recently is this notion that self-care is sacred. The notion of sacredness for me is very important and to create sacred moments, sacred space, like how does your workplace create that you know, motivation to, to be your best. And so once I understood that self-care is sacred, it's not selfish, right? We tend, we grow up thinking that it's selfish. Like, why are you taking a nap or why are you taking a holiday? Like, God forbid, right? In that sense, the Europeans are ahead of us. Mm-hmm. I used to be grudged. Those, you know, I, I had a company and most of my clients, you know, were in Europe in, in a previous iteration. And you know, come August, it's like nobody. It's a beautiful uh, thing. I know, but oh, thing, I yeah. was not very happy. Until uh, uh, I, I was not. Now it's like, I get it. I get it. And I would be surprised to know the correlation between that and output and productivity and happiness and, and insomnia, right? So self-care, self-love. So I think the good thing right now is that we have all the tools for entrepreneurs to tap into. Don't feel that it's selfish. It's actually... It's, it's good for you. It's good for the company. It's good for your relationships. And, and there's no other way because you will pay the price no matter what. That was going to be my question is how do you, so there's been times building companies where I just was like, you know, I'm, I'm healthy, relatively young. Like, you know, I'm just going to scrap this, this self-care stuff. It's burning up too many of my working hours. And I paid the price. I paid the price big time this, uh, this past couple of years, in fact. So what do you think it was that led you to be like, there is no other way? I need to, I need to regenerate myself as a, as a founder first. You know, I listen, there's a time for all nighters. It's, it feels Burning great. Man. Burning it's man it's great. For well, for me, it was <laughs> to stay at the office, but oh, okay. no, no, okay. but there, there, no, yes. So go out okay. and work hard, play hard. Absolutely. Have mm-hmm. fun. 
Absolutely. And I think we're all different, right? That breaking point is different depending on Definitely. who we all are. I think I I came to appreciate the healing power of my body after I gave birth to Lucas. So I almost died at birth, at wow. giving birth. Wow. And if it wasn't because of how I had taken care of myself I before giving birth, I would have died. Mm. Full stop. So, it, mm. and even to come sort of speak back to life, I had to really put a lot of effort, but I was always very grateful to, to my past choices, right? I think this is one actually it would be interesting for, for people who are listening. I always ask myself, what would future Georgie want me to do? Right. So I have a relationship with future self, mm-hmm. also with past self. Every now and then, like today when I landed in Vancouver, I said, you know, high school Georgie would be very happy right now. Mm-hmm. That's and that's awesome. adorable. Yeah. That right. Adorable. That's awesome. But it's also thinking, okay, if, if you have to make a choice right now, what would future, you know, Tom want? And it's an interesting conversation with the future self because each person is different, right? Like your, your tolerance for different things, it's different than mine. So all our bodies are different to an extent. So what would Tom want? Tom would want a nap. Yeah. But he wouldn't trade anything for, for this conversation. So. Oh, that's true. No. Well, also you gave me great coffee. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, will this make me happy in the future? I think is. Yeah. Is and actually question. it's an opening to also, and going back to our conversation today is an opening to have an ongoing conversation with the future as well. And it's not to say that, yes, I mean, the present is all there is and here we are and these matters and nothing else matters. And it's very important that you, that, you know, kind of the future talks to us. So I've always, when you, when you're talking about impact investing, I did a, I did a a speech uh, in Monaco to, they have a a global private wealth conference that UBS hosted. Amazing. Exactly. So I didn't know what to say at the beginning. Like I was in the back, just trying to fill it out. And I'm, I was in the hotel. Right. And suddenly just downloading, downloaded. Mm -hmm. And I started writing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I'm supposed to say this. And it was like, yes. And, and I wrote it down and I said it Mm. and it was about listening to the future. And if you, if you pay close attention and you listen to the future, like all these things that you and I can see, they're just evident, they're self-evident and everybody should be part of it. Maybe, maybe you can see, maybe you can see, I'm having these conversations to try to see. Okay. You have to Um, feel them as well. Yeah. So what does the future of regenerative finance look like? We've got these, you know, carbon being put on the blockchain so that now you have a software app, you can have an API for carbon. You've got people walking around New York City with little devices on their phones getting paid to track how many bats there are. Yeah. Um, You've got global always on 24-7 markets in nature. Yeah. Yeah. What does the future of, what does the future of, let's call it regenerative finance, refi, what does that look like to you? Yeah. What do you think? So I think what, what we have to make sure while we're in this stage where I would say the future is still unclear, is that we have to ask ourselves, who is at the table of regenerative finance? And I think that goes back to we all collectively have to make sure that we're not not repeating the mistakes of the past, so to speak, and to understand who's at the table of regenerative finance. Um, The example that I was given to you about, you know, Gabon and Iboga, right? Who's sitting at the table of those decisions? Who owns the equity in the businesses? Who, who, who is a stakeholder? And so I think for regenerative finance to be truly regenerative, 
regenerative. Those are conversations that need to happen as we're building the companies or as we're iterating on business ideas is to understand, you know, why are we doing this? Who are the stakeholders? And and that creates a different output. Um, One example, and it's it's not necessarily regenerative finance, but it's kind of decision-making as well. I was reading on the way here about the fact that the orcas are you know, dying and are also getting skinnier, that they cannot eat as much salmon. So part of the project, when they're making decisions about how to share in the fisheries is having the orcas as stakeholders, Uh, right? That's very important. So what do the orcas need? Because otherwise we're doing, you know, dividing equally among fishermen, but um, what happened with the orcas, right? (laughs) So when you're thinking about regenerative finance is yes, carbon, yes, nature, is nature at the table. David de Rothschild did a great project where he identified legal structures that give the ability, that give ownership in projects to the to the cause. Yes. So if your cause is forestry, then the forests have actually, oh, we talked about it, right? The forests have actually ownership and they have a, a, bo- a seat at the board of the decision-making. So if you, that's what I see that needs to happen as the technology and the purpose, you know, keep moving along. What I'm hearing you say is, and I think that you and I would agree, we have all the money we need. Yeah. We've got the technology we need. 100%. Where are we trying to go? What's the goal? Who's involved? And from there, what should we do? Which brings me to, you are one of the founders of the first DAO in Puerto Rico, as far yes. as we know. Yeah. We know that there's about it. We've mapped about a hundred impact DAOs. One that we haven't, uh, Gitcoin, people involved in Gitcoin and some others around the internet have mapped the, uh, impact DAO movement. I would say that you guys have an impact DAO. Why did you choose to set up a DAO? Yeah. So I'm from Puerto Rico. The accent tells it, but I've been away from Puerto Rico for a long time um, by choice. It was very important to me, the proverbial of giving back and to, you know, with everything that I've seen, that I've known and the networks that I have, how can I kind of bring that to the island? It coincided, as you may know, there's, um, there's a large community. The crypto community in Puerto Rico is very much alive. And the beautiful thing, they have to be there half of the year. So it's Uh, not just, right? (laughs) And what happens when you bring together, exactly, brains, capital, and like forced time is this incredible desire to to create. I I love how you look at things almost like a chessboard. Yeah. You seem very, your brain seems to work better in that respect than, than mine. You're like... This is the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. On. No, totally. I see the movie. It's like you're there, so you have to create. So one of my friends, she, you know, she was telling me she's living there and she said, I've been thinking about this down. And I said, first thing I said is, I can help you going back to the bridge building. Like it's very important for many reasons that you have kind of a an understanding of the setting of where you are. You are starting something in Puerto Rico. Let's make sure, and I can advise you and I can talk to you about it. Let's make sure that you have kind of that Puerto Rican stakeholder at the table. And so I agreed to become a member uh, of the DAO. So effectively what we're trying to do is invest in uh, Web3 and crypto uh, companies that are launched 
out of Puerto Rico, whether it is, you know, built by Puerto Ricans or, you know, created by people who are living in the island. But going back to what you were saying about, you know, what does the future of impact look like? It was very important that we had Puerto Ricans at the table. It was very important also as sure. we're deciding, are we going to allocate a percentage of the investments to companies that are, you know, that have Puerto Rican team members, for example, yeah, like so yeah. to be purposeful and intentional about how we're operating. It, it's part of the story, not just the output. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope that we can, uh, we can find some young founders in Puerto Rico and give them some grants and give them yep. some time to create and give them yeah. some mentors like you. And yeah, um, that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. What are the most pressing problems that you think we need to address as a, as a human collective? As a human collective. So I'll tell you what keeps me up at night. I was born under a dictator. In Puerto Rico? In Chile. And I had to leave because of a dictator in Turkey. And so I think that we are sleepwalking into a situation where a lot of the freedom and values and ability to, to be human, you know, that we take for granted are not going to be as readily available. So we're walking, we're sleepwalking away from democracy. So that's one thing that keeps me mm. awake. And why? Because I feel that the urgency of the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis requires democratic values, requires liberal values, and bas frankly, seeing ourselves as one humanity versus the nationalistic attitude that anti-democratic mindsets have. So because of that, working on advancing consciousness is something that I hold very dearly. I have done it privately for many years, but now I'm kind of like out of the psychedelic closet. And we are. Yes. <laughs> and that's important. And, you know, now that I'm out, should I have talked about that before probably but it wasn't as easy and for me one of the pivotal moments was in Davos 2020 pre-COVID it was the first time that there was a legitimate I would say contingent of of all the universities and researchers and investors in the psychedelic space who were there sharing again what was happening the advances the studies the, the why and all the research and so it was very clear that the time has come that you know we shouldn't shy away from talking about the need to to raise consciousness and yeah. psychedelics as a tool I feel has a an incredible possibility to help us get where we need to go faster. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It was um shared the story with you, but uh after seven years in crypto, I was I was in, in 2020 as well. I was in Bali and I walked into a beach club, a few hundred people on the patio, everybody drinking alcohol, and I could just feel the fear and people looking at each other. And yeah. it's like, man, we could build the best new systems. Yeah. But if we don't take people from a place of fear and pessimism fear. Yeah. to a place of, of hope, yeah. we're just not going to create yeah. the future that we want, which was a major theme of our, of our lunch conversation yes. today. How do you keep yourself from going to that place of fear, basically? How do you, how do you stay hopeful and positive as a founder? I think it's very important to be surrounded by people and communities that inspire me, who I look up to and with whom I have a, a very strong friendship bond so I can be myself. I think, listen, 
imposter syndrome, I mean, you name it, right? Imposter syndrome. There, there's so many things that, that become anguish to entrepreneurs, right? I with all of them. All of them, all of them, but it's, it's the nature of, of the circumstance, but we, we couldn't be anything else meaning than doing what we're doing. So might as well do it in a way that is, you know, helpful and joyful and happy. So yeah, for me, what keeps me hopeful, one of the things is having a strong network of colleagues and friends and people who inspire me and nurturing those friendships. So last year, for example, we brought me and my, my, my fiance, we brought like 80 of our friends to to a place called Blue Spirit in Costa Rica. Yes. So Lucian was there, for yeah, example. So we went there to brilliant. to reconnect, to be in nature, to there were no phones allowed. No phones allowed. Can you imagine asking people for one week? Can imagine that, and it's, 80s, it's not even yeah, and it's not even I don't want to see you like speaking on the phone is I don't want to see a phone. Yes. Because it's proven yeah, yeah, that yeah. if if you had a phone there, immediately it's just like this knee-jerk reaction. So, I was, so um, yeah. Well, I just, I was getting a, um, just doing a, a, like a physical checkup and uh, I was getting a, you know, measuring my heart just to know. And they were like, is your phone near you? <gasps> and, and they're like, it's, it's disturbing your heart rhythm. And I was no. like, well, I assumed this was the case, but just to actually hear yeah. it was interesting. Yeah. So that was amazing. So we disconnected and reconnected with self, with ourselves and with nature. And mm-hmm. we're doing this again in November. So I think taking those moments, I mean, yes, of course, as entrepreneurs, we're going to go to networking events. Like, you know, we're continuously socializing and networking, but, it, but it's different to have a network of choice. You know, even if it's a small group that you can you can look up to and you can be yourself and open up. I think that that has been very much the path. You know, I think we live in a world where we can create any solutions that we want. We've got such, you know, there's half a billion dollars waiting for the right team to focus on the right problem in a weekend. You you can coordinate that type of capital with crypto, maybe a little less during the bear market, but she'll come Mm -hmm. back, which brings us, I guess, brings us to, to revelers. I mean, as you know, the mission is to find dedicated, committed founders who are willing to tackle big challenges and then to, to wrap them in community and support them. Selfishly, it's for me to, to get to be in community with people yeah. like you. So Likewise. Thank, thank you for, for being a part of it. Why are you part of Revelers? What, what made you? Yeah. So one of the things specifically about DAOs, right? I'm fascinated with new mindsets. So most of my, I would say, perhaps people who I went to, you know, grad school together or university together, right? You're, you're imprinted in the mindset of the moment, right? And you really need to push yourself to expand that mindset. So, right. So centralized, you know, top down hierarchies, everything. That's the mindset. There was a sudden moment where somebody told you, you could be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, Oh, (laughs) Oh, I can do that. Exactly. I hear you. So I've always, I've been able to like switch my mindset but you also need to study mindsets and immerse yourself in new mindsets. So for me, being part of the, for example, the example of the Puerto Rican DAO, you know, does it come naturally necessarily to not be hierarchical to me? No, like, you know, I like a little bit bossy, but at the same time, um, I know it's important if I'm going to, if we are collectively going to achieve what we need to achieve, we need a different mindset. So embedding and um, being part of a different mindset pushes me to think differently, to act differently and to open new possibilities. Mm-hmm. So speaking about revelers is the same thing is this notion that, you know, this is a shift in mindsets. It's bringing people who can add to your point, kind of 
very holistic support to entrepreneurs who don't have that. Your typical VC is going to support entrepreneurs in a very specific way. And that's great. I mean, you need some of those people at the table and kind of in the conventional way, it's going to be incredible. But can you imagine opening the brain of the world to support anything that you want to create? And to do it with the with an incredible disposition, with an openness of heart, it's not transactional in a way. There is a transaction at the end, of course, if we're talking about specifically investments, but at the core, we're all supporting the mission. The entrepreneurship and the project is the path through. But what we all share is a desire to create change. That's very different than investing or supporting something only because you're you know, the transaction and the outcome and the financial outcome is what you're seeking. I mean, I think that entrepreneur environmental environmentalists should be the high, most highly paid people on the planet. Yeah. And so I think that the beauty of, of DAOs and environmental markets is like, we know nature is going to be more valuable in the future than it is today. Yeah. We know that all this stuff is going to go into markets we know that there's a ton of people that want to do, want to invest their heartbeats to make the world better. Those people should have a great time doing it. They should stay in positivity. They yeah. should be supported like hell and, and they should be financially free. Yeah. And they shouldn't be do doing do anything work. else. Mm -hmm. Meaning I think we've come to the point, you know, think about when I was in an investor banker, having to choose between, you know, doing good for yourself and doing good for the world, like should not be a choice anymore. Like it should only be one choice, which is, you know, everything you do while you have this one precious life will be at the service of humanity. And it will be the most meaningful, thoughtful, joyful way to live. I think that we're finally there. Yes, you know, I agree. You, you can, you could debate whether or not five years ago, it was better to start a social media company and make a hundred million dollars and then invest it in the environment, you know, it's debatable whether that might've been the right path. Yeah. Of, you know, kind of effective altruism type of stuff. But I think. Well, if, it's, if, it's like Yoko Ono said, right? War is over if you want. Uh, <laughs> we are there if you want. We are there if you want. Yeah. And if, you know, if we could let a hundred million young people know that they can now dedicate a hundred percent of their time to these decentralized environmental markets, regenerative yeah. finance, and do it with community and, and make 10 million bucks so they yes. can pay for a one bedroom apartment in Vancouver. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I think yes. we're there. Yes. there. I believe in that. I know it is. I've seen it. And I think what we have to keep sharing as you are doing right now is that we've seen it. It exists. It is possible. And the moment is now and uh, be the hope, right? Just continue being the hope. You do that very well. I'm, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm taking lessons from you. Speaking about bringing new solutions to life, please tell me about what you're doing in Gabon. Yeah. Because I think it's remarkable. Yeah. What's going on in Gabon? Yeah. So going back to the notion that as an entrepreneur, you know, making sure that you have a wonderful network of people who are just all over the world who want your best. Out of that gathering in Costa Rica, I reconnected with one of my colleagues from WEF. And uh, he's from Ethiopia. And uh, we started talking as one does about psychedelics. And he mentioned Iboga. You know, Iboga is considered the Everest of psychedelics. So, you know, uh, have but not that was tried. Five in the <laughs> oh, we can compete. So I have not tried it. 
You so have? I have not. Not, okay. I will probably will at some point, but I'm very respectful of it, right? Like I, I, I don't, I do things, I love myself, let's put it that way. So I'm very careful with, to what I say yes to. So then I learn about this incredible medicine that has been in use in Gabon, which is in West Africa for over 2000 years. It's considered a sacred plant even by the government. So it's actually an inherent part of the identity of who they are. And, uh, and it has an incredible medicinal power to cure addiction like nothing else can and to bring new levels of mindfulness and understanding um, directly related to the forest. So we together with my friend, we saw it as an incredible opportunity that we had to protect the forest protect the knowledge of the forest and share this incredible medicine, frankly, with, with the West that bridge. has been so kind of damaged. Some are bridge building. Some are bridge building, damaged by, by the, you know, by opioids and by the medicinal kind of addiction that, that is plaguing this country. Yeah. It's funny when I told you about giving birth to Lucas. So as I was coming out of almost dying, <laughs> literally on the way out, I was waiting for the meds. I thought they were going to give me like everything. And she's like, here's your paracetamol, which is pretty much Advil. So on the way out, I was giving Advil <laughs> after almost dying. <laughs> Imagine in the US when they're like, they just feed you opioids and all these things that incredibly addictive. So, and also the sweet the sweet healing of African continent healing the West, whereas the West created such, you know, destruction in Africa. So I find it also kind of like a beautiful kind of like healing of intergenerational trauma yeah. among the two, you know, kind of fears. That is, um, that's awesome. So that's Iboga is, you know, Iboga as a plant, but also Gabon's forests are kind of essential for the survival of the world, which I didn't know. They're kind of the second largest after the Amazons. They're, they're yeah. The majority of the forest uh, in Gabon is protected, actually, just like in Costa Rica, so highly protected. Most of the water from the Nile come from the forest in Gabon, which I didn't know. Huh. So there's an urgency to protect it. And the government is on board to create sustainable Iboga that benefits the forest and the people. And to do that as an economic engine rather than destroying and logging the forest. So we're at this moment right now, you know, as the project continues, they're thinking about the future. They're thinking, you know, we have oil right now. We're not going to have oil in 20 years. What is going to replace it? And Iboga as, as the messenger. So this is the time. It's a, very, it's a very small window. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. I'm, I'm excited for you. I hope that, uh, that, you know, maybe we can find some some revelers to support Absolutely. over there. They're, um, they're also uh, surfing hippos in Gabon. So what? the hippos actually go into the ocean. It's, it's like pure. What? There's nothing. Every time I stop and think about the fact that there are giraffes and hippos running around, I'm just, yeah. just grateful I did. Yeah. Surfing hippos. I'll send you pictures when I, I'm going to go there in the summer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So what do you look for in a founder? If we're going to go ahead and try to support yes. you know, a ton of founders. Yeah. What do you look for? Yeah, there, there's something that we say in Spanish. Some people have, we call it angel. Some people have an angel inside. Mm. And, and you see it in their eyes that when they're saying something, the passion is there. 
So you got to be passionate about what you're doing. That's for me very important. Everything else, yes, of course, you got to have, you know, a lot of things that matter that are quantifiable, obviously. Can do grade 11 chemistry. Exactly. <laughs> you know, there are things that are, that it depends obviously how much experience they have or not, right? Yeah, but like, there's yeah, things in the past, there are things in the past that kind of like ease the, the quantification kind of requirement of things. Skills that matter. The skills, skills matter. Yeah. And if you don't have those skills, is there anybody else in the team? So I don't believe one person should have everything. I think that's very unique. And I think also, you know, we've been told in the past, like, you know, these are your strengths and your weaknesses and everything needs to be leveled up. It's like, you know what? No. Like, why don't I lean into my strengths and then have somebody else compliment me? So team as a team is very important. Know what you know, if you don't know something, make sure somebody else does in the team. So that's very important. I like diverse teams. It is proven and it's not about male, female. It's about diversity across. Yeah, the data um, is pretty clear. It's so yeah. clear, yeah. but it's up to the investors to remember right. that the data is very clear because diverse teams just look very different and it might not be what we're used to, to identify with success, but we know that it will in the long term. So that's very important. I mean, if it was traditional, I would say investments, obviously, uh, is this a problem that you're solving that is your problem? You know, the closer you are to the problem, the better. But when it comes to nature, I think it's a different monster. The solution should be closer to your knowledge. The passion will be there no matter what. We know what the problem is, but the solution that you're building, how did you come up with it? Like, are you passionate about solving uh, this problem, right? right? It's not about getting downtown two minutes faster. Exactly. Oh no, please. No. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I, I want to understand <laughs> what you mean by that. So, it's so I believe we're all here in a, in a shared mission, right? So, so the, so what is, what's your why? What's the why of an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. And, and is it, is it something that are you passionate about your why or did you get there just by by looking at a market and seeing what was needed or does that make sense like what's your entry point it's it's because, a it's a bit of a complicated question you yeah know, i i look around at very successful friends and there's, there's a part of me that's like you know why 14 years ago did I start doing environmental companies? It would have been much easier for me to just do an internet company and <laughs> yeah. I could be, you know, could have made money earlier, earlier and just been investing faster, in whatever. Yeah. So it's a, it's a multifactorial question, yeah. right? It's like, yeah, you, you need to care about yourself. You need to care about timing. It does matter. If you, if your thing doesn't get off the ground, it doesn't make impact. So it's, yeah. It's a bit but of a isn't, the why is very important if you're going to attract talent. So that's the other part of it is more and more people, I mean, for example, the last fund that I did a race for, it was in uh, carbon capture, right? So in carbon this capture with Trisaka, with, with yeah. lower carbon. Yeah. So, you know, in carbon capture, let's say like, I mean, I knew about carbon capture and storage since, since Copenhagen, like, you know, the idea of it has been around forever, but there were no real companies or real money in it. So nobody was studying it or wanting to work in that career. So now there's at least a hundred carbon capture companies. So that means wow. that, okay, that, so they're all competing for talent, right? And yes, more and more PhDs are moving there and people that are working in technology, um, which is great, but it means there's competition for talent. If there's competition for talent, what, what are people going to look for? If you have options, you want to know that your founder like really means it, right? So I think there's that intangible, as I mentioned, that yes, skill, yes, experience, absolutely, check, check, check. Now, what's the differentiating factor that's going to make you 
attract business, attract talent, and get you going for the longer run because this is a longer term investment of, 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 an, of a founder's time. So that's what I mean. And again, it, it might not be quantifiable, but it's what's going to attract all the conditions that the founder is going to need to, to realize the vision. I think if back to the, back to the pause, I think if, if we, if all of us pause, think about the teams we're a part of, assess if we think that that why is, is really real. I think we know. Yeah. Exactly. And and frankly, Gen Z's can see through. Like if you're trying to hire For Gen sure. Z's. Yeah, you and I are like, well, I don't know. I don't we know. Gotta, yeah, yeah. Gen Z's. Like, yeah. Gen Z's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. no. no, no. Fuck that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So how can people support your work in Gabon? Yes. And how can people follow you, get in touch with you? Yeah. So in the Gabon side of the question, I think what eventually needs to happen is, is the, the ultimate question, right? How can it be right now, the way the economic system works, that a forest is more valuable destroyed than untouched, right? So we have to, we know that it has value, right? We've been trying to ecosystems payments and, you know, yes, it's in the trillions of dollars and it doesn't mean anything from, you know, tangible for people because it's an abstract number that doesn't really flow anywhere. So can we, A, let's agree that the forest is more valuable left untouched. What does that mean? And how can we make that abstraction visible? How can that become real currency that can be traded or can acquire other things by not touching the forest? So that's going to be what's going to be essential for all the forests in Gabon to stay untouched. Well, one of your fellow founding patrons wrote, co-authored the first forest carbon no way. protocol, just okay. Joseph Pallant. Okay. So uh, he can he can help you definitely. Where is he based? Connect that carbon into I love the Web three always I, on market system. He's based here. I love more reasons to get on that seaplane. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How can we draw out what the actual brass tax value of forests are? Yeah. Exactly. Um, Okay. And where is the reciprocity as well? Because the other the other thing that we're trying to avoid in Gabon is the what they call the 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 curse of the resource, right? So in the past, all these countries was the usual, like you know, the French go to Gabon or the not Gabon. Well, they were in Gabon, but let's say the Chinese come and they're all looking for mines all over Africa. They're buying all the lithium mines and it's extractive, extractive. There's nothing coming back to the country. Tie up the resource, exactly. capture as much value as capture possible. Capture value, dispose yeah. and, and, you know, zero labor standards, zero environmental standards. Yeah. So it needs to be a different relationship. Like, yes, carbon markets, yes, forestry market, where is the reciprocity? And I'm sure he has thought about it. And I think that it goes back to what I was mentioning about the intentionality. Like, let's not replicate the mistakes of the past. Yeah. And it's not about, you see, when I look at the past and the things that we did wrong, I, I look at it with compassion. It's not about like, oh, you know, we were so bad. Or It's yeah. just, it was what it was. It was yeah. a different time. We did, the best as, we did the best we could at the time. At the time. And now that we know, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not repeat it, you know. Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity to do it differently. I would love to talk to him about it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. How do people connect with you? Yes. So I 
My favorite these days is um, Instagram, actually. Okay. So I will share with you my link so we'll you can put notes. it in the show. I like that. And I think that's the best way. I'm pretty much available and, and I love to connect with people. I love people. I love the world. And, um, and nothing gives me more pleasure than to enable others to, to live a life of purpose. That's definitely something that makes me very happy. It's one of my whys. What is your why? I just... You know, I grew up on a farm and I would just sit there in the cherry tree and I would just be in love. And I was just like, we live in paradise. We are floating through space as upright talking monkeys mm-hmm. in paradise <laughs> with giraffes and surfing hippos. And I'm like, fuck, like this yeah. is just so special. Yeah. And um, yeah, so just first of all, I think it's making sure that we we take care of that paradise yeah and then secondly just you know helping myself and helping others get back to that state which i, I think is that. the natural human state it's the natural human uh, state. which is just you know we don't need rolls royces like, nope. we don't need yeah i just think existing and appreciating existence um, protecting what we have and then appreciating what we have is, is my why so i love that helping people do that I love that. This is what I'm up to now. I love that. And you're doing such a great job doing it. Trying. Thank you. You are. You are. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for today. Thank you for being a patron. Let's go find some some radical, true founders and, and give them some support. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. 